I guess. One um, one thing that was awesome that Orange Theory does, and I know that a lot of other companies adopt that aren't even fitness related, that they really did a great job with is this pre-sale period. Um, and that's not something that I don't think was done very often before, but it was highly effective um, where they do a 90 day or so build up with a countdown, you know, piece on the, you know, you're doing your, your uh, social media, I'm dating myself, but social media was really getting off the ground at that time. So, um, you know, you're, you're really just building up this members, you know, recurring membership base, 90 days uh, or 120 out. So that when you do open, you know, you're hitting the ground, or hitting the ground in the black instead of hitting it in the red, which is more traditional, I think, for businesses. You know, it's pretty typical that, you know, you might be in the, the red for a year. And, and with this concept, at least, and, and we were very lucky that wasn't, you know, something that we had to deal with because we opened up with that, that these 500 plus members. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss franchise podcast. My name is Dan Claps founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. My life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the I Fired My Boss franchise podcast, formerly known as the Franchise Founders. Uh, have our obviously our awesome co-host, Dan Claps, with us and a really exciting guest today, uh, Chris Elmore. And as always, we'll let Chris do his uh, bio for the most part, but he's a franchisee with Orange Theory Fitness, He's an area development uh, rep with uh, KidStrong, and he has a, a, a home services, or not home services, a home care, a private duty home care business as well. So just an all-around business guy, franchisee, understands franchising, lots of experience. And so excited to welcome you to the show, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, it's great to be here. Appreciate it. Well, I think uh, a good place to start is your background? How'd you get into franchising? What did you do before franchising? And what was the first brand you got into? Yeah. So um, my career was really advertising uh, on the creative side. Uh, so I worked in various sized advertising agencies kind of up and down the East Coast uh, from college really on uh, up until uh, I got into my mid-30s, uh, mid, mid to late 30s. And, you know, I just had some peers um, that were, you know, just doing amazing, you know, in, in their life. And, and I kind of was looking around and I was doing well, but I guess I, I just felt like I, there was more, um, you know, more for me to fulfill, I guess, in a way. And I always knew, um, I, you know, I, I don't come from a particularly entrepreneurial family, um, but I just had this itch that I needed to do something different and make a big life move. And so that's when um, I started asking friends around me who were in franchising, and just trying to familiarize myself with if that would be the right path, you know, for me to choose. And uh, ultimately, luckily, um, you know, came to Orange Theory as our first. So that was knowing what I know now. I kind of know that that at one time and still is a really can you know kind of marquee brand. But for you know for us to to kind of pick them on kind of the early part of their um, you know of their growth, uh, we were store one thirty four. 
And so as you guys probably know, like the country sold out pretty quickly and we were able to get, we were happy to get the two that we did. We, you know, not having been an entrepreneur before, we were just happy to get anything and get approved for an SBA loan uh, because that was probably the biggest hurdle um, that we faced. And it's probably a big hurdle that I, you know, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners do too in order to, to get that franchise going. Sarkis, I miss, you said franchisee number? Uh, 134. 134. Yeah. And uh, 134 and 398, I want to say, but I think we were in the first, I mean, we were, we got in in 2014, I want to say. So we're going, we just renewed our first franchise agreement at, at 10 years. So that's how long we've been with the brand. Now with that 134, how many Orange Theories, if you remember, were open at the time of you purchasing? Shoot, that's a good question. Um, if I had to guess, it was probably in the 70s, I would think, or maybe even maybe 60s, because I know Florida, you know, it was founded in Fort Lauderdale. I'm in Tampa. Our locations are here in our area. And there was only about two other markets, two or three other markets that had already kind of, um, you know, had established locations prior to ours. We were, we were pretty early in, in, in the Tampa marketplace. But not first, you know, I'm sure you guys have explained to your listeners too. We weren't an area developer. And because we weren't an area developer, we didn't really get to control our destiny. We really had to, you know, get the B locations because the area developer had already carved out, um, you know, the locations that they had contracted for that they wanted to choose for themselves. Yeah, right. The, the first, so you, in being, in at 134 had tremendous has tremendous benefits being in one through 50 was even more you're saying the early adopters got the best territories yeah well in in the orange theory system it it is that area developer model where let's say that you know they bought let's say they contract for 15 locations in the tampa bay market over a i don't know what 10-year period so they would choose to not you know they would keep maybe 10 for themselves and then let eight go, maybe because they didn't have the capital at the time and they wanted to meet their development schedule, um, you know, early. And so they would, you know, essentially spin off or allow you to, um, you know, do that for, and then for the number of locations. And I, if I want to say correctly, I mean, we're probably kind of getting in the weeds a little bit, but 1% of your franchise fee, I think went back to them as area developers. And then they would use that 1%. Uh, they would have some responsibilities associated with that with regard to localized support and auditing, you know, and that kind of a thing. So that's how it was done in that system. Got it. So I'm curious, I mean, obviously Orange Theory Fitness, incredibly successful brand, probably, you know, up there with, um, I mean, I guess in the boutique fitness space, you think when I think franchising, I think McDonald's, I think Taco Bell and obviously all the food concepts, but within fitness, I think about Orange Theory and, and some of those others. So amazing brand to get involved with. I'm curious, um, how did you find out about it? You said it was just through your personal network. Um, and then and what was your selection criteria? Were you looking at other brands? I mean, why Orange Theory Fitness at the end of the day? Yeah, so it was through personal network. My, my uh, business partner, Deanne, she managed the location. Um, she was going through a career move uh, and and was managing a location here uh, in, in uh, St. Petersburg, right near Tampa, Florida. And I was, I was, you know, I was reaching out to different people. I knew a Moe's franchisee. So I, I was picking his brain about just franchising in general. Um, and I knew, 
So I'm trying to think of a few other, maybe one other person. I didn't really investigate most too deeply. Um, I had heard some things about food franchising and how that could be difficult with from a margin standpoint. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so really her, you know, knowing her, knowing kind of some of the numbers that they were doing there at that Orange Theory uh, helped a little bit. I mean, I was into fitness personally, so that was nice, I think, to, to kind of bring that passion over a little bit. Um, what was really scary about it is that um, at the time, there were, that was the only location open in Tampa. So no one knew about it. There was zero brand recognition really in our marketplace. There was some excitement around it. Um, and that location was, was doing well. But I think for, at least in my case, um, it was my wife and I's like all chips in. We had to really put in our, almost our life savings. Um, and so there was some sleepless nights about whether, you know, this was the right decision, whether fitness is the right decision. Um, and whether going into business with a, a, she was actually a personal friend prior to was, was the right decision. So those were some of the criteria that we had to really think through, uh, you know, to make sure that it was the right decision for my wife and I, you know, at the time. And uh, from a selection criteria standpoint, one thing that I really appreciated and it's something I carried through um, to even selection criteria now is that the um, founders there, Two of them, I think, had a background in um, massage envy. And so to me, like them having franchisor experience kind of, and it wasn't their first rodeo kind of gave me some comfort that, you know, there was always going to be that initial uh, bumpy road a little bit because it was on an early stage, uh, you know, franchise. But I think that, um, you know, having someone that had gone through it before would maybe eliminate some of those, um, you know, bumps kind of along the, along the way as they scale. That makes sense. And then so as things, so you 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 like the brand. It made sense at the end of the day. You guys decided to take the plunge, and then you're in, right? Or I guess I guess you're not, and you have to build it out, right? So what was that process like? I know that if you don't do things in the right order of operations, you can really you know get yourself into some deep trouble and and magnify your investment to a pretty large degree. So what was that process like? Yeah, we had. So I've got a couple probably good stories, I guess. One. Um, one thing that was awesome that Orange Theory does, and I know that a lot of other companies adopt that aren't even fitness related, that they really did a great job with is this pre-sale period. Um, and that's not something that I don't think was done very often before, but it was highly effective um, where they do a 90 day or so build up with a countdown, you know, piece on the, you know, you're doing your, your uh, social media, I'm dating myself, but social media was really getting off the ground at that time. So, um, you know, you're, you're really just building up this members, you know, recurring membership base 90 days or 120 out so that when you do open, you know, you're hitting the ground or hitting the ground in the black instead of hitting it in the red, which is more traditional, I think, for businesses. You know, it's pretty typical that, you know, you might be in the, the red for a year. And, and with this concept, at least, and, and we were very lucky that wasn't, you know, something that we had to deal with because we opened up with that, that these 500 plus members. Um, so that was one thing. Pre-sale period was was really important. That was something that Orange Theory brought to, to us. Um, one, I would say, cautionary tale for us was um, underestimating the amount of time that um, municipal uh, permitting can take. And during the time we were, we did, like I said, we did have staff during that um, pre-sale period. And so there was a time when our, uh, you know, cash was running, running really, really low. And so we had to basically call mom and dad and say, guys, we're going to run out of money before we even get open. Um, if we don't, you know, have this, uh, you know, kind of have this 
you know, fixed because it ended up taking, I want to say, maybe six months to, to open where we had estimated, underestimated that amount of, you know, permitting time. And that put us, you know, three months into payroll that we weren't expecting. Always goes that way. It's always a double or three times more than, than you thought it would, uh, would, it would be. Always have right. the game. It's like home remodels. It, it's kind of, as long as you, you know, you expect it, it's going to take longer. It costs more. You, you yeah. know, you can let your disappointment. Everyone told me, uh, it's the same thing with being France. It's like, you know, they say one number, I tripled the number because like that, no way. It's going to take trouble. Right. So, but I um, need a, probably the most dangerous thing is just make sure you have enough capital, um, yeah. you know, in the beginning to, to protect yourself because there's always going to be some, some things that happen. Yeah. So I guess on that note, then, so, you know, you're going through the build out process, you get it open. And that is one of the nice things about boutique fitness that I think a lot of people don't realize is if you do have a franchisor that offers a tremendous amount of pre-sales help, then yeah, you theoretically could be in the black on, on day one and you almost have a cash flowing asset, or at least you're almost at like a break even point, at least in terms of like operationally, right? In terms of your, your cash flow. Um, so that's exactly. awesome. So then you get open and, uh, and, and what's that like? I mean, what are you doing day in and day out initially? What is that? look like did you did you keep your old job or you you guys said you guys were all in at that point so what did your your day look like and oh sorry yeah so i probably um i, I misspoke then about that we, we were all in with our savings but i did keep my you know i didn't know how things were going to go and i think the bank even required mm. that like myself and her husband have you know regular careers right um we had never received a you know a big you know bank loan like that before and so that it was the biggest i think that's really the probably the biggest reason why a lot of people want to go into franchising but then they see that big dollar amount and they talk to four of their local banks and then they all get, you know they get turned down five times and then that's it that's that's the end of their dream um we did the same thing we had six different local banks kind of laugh at us a little bit because we didn't have the you know, it's like if you need the million or you need the 500,000 and you don't have the 500,000, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg thing. Um, but we eventually got past, I think just through networking and through, you know, with some help, I think we, we basically networked with somebody out of state that was just hungry and able to um, make the deal, you know, happen. Um, so I would just definitely encourage your listeners to keep going and go beyond your local marketplace. Um, you know, from a, from a loan standpoint, if you're having trouble and just keep going, it might take 10 different tries before you get accepted, you know, by that SBA loan um, company. And so, yeah, sorry. So to go back to the original question, yeah, I, I kept my career for probably two years. Um, Deanne was always, my, my partner was always going to be the operating partner. She had the experience in managing a location already. She t um, still does take and took a salary. So I would say that's something that, you know, your listeners need to account for. You know, of course, with your projections, you know, if, if you're not going to be running the business and, and it's going to be your, I guess, payroll, if you're going to be paying someone else, that obviously has to be accounted for um, to, to make sure that the numbers all work out. So I really didn't have myself needing to necessarily be paid, of course, you know, because I did have my career. Um, but we did factor in a, a salary for her, you know, right out of the gate and had to, had to make sure that was going to work out. So you were able to start more or less semi-absentee from the get-go. I was, yeah. My, with my marketing background, I, I took those kind of responsibilities off of her shoulders. Um, but yeah, essentially almost out of the gate. Yeah, that was by, I guess, necessity and, and design um, to do that. And I've kind of carried that through in, in, the, in these other two businesses that I've had. It's, they've all been partnerships. Um, and they've all, um, worked out, you know, so far, but I've never been that operating 
you know, operating person. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of operational background, but what I could offer, you know, yeah, was that kind of marketing background. So you're helping with the marketing. Um, things are going well. What were some of the biggest challenges? Though? Obviously, I'm sure there were things that came up. I mean, as you were operating, as you were, you know, once you, the build out's done, I'm sure that was challenging enough, um, getting open, all those different things. But once you're actually up and running, pre-sales are done, what did that look like? Dan, did you have a question? No, to piggyback, maybe in the fact that it's an emerging brand at this time, mm. not the challenges of just normal business, but like them being emerging and somewhere where maybe there were challenges. Yeah, I would, I mean, outside of, like you were saying, people really just not knowing what it was. So from a sales standpoint, um, you know, you had to be really good at communicating, especially during pre-sale because someone's never set foot in this gym. And they're, you know, you're asking them for a credit card for a place they've never seen the inside of that is, you know, potentially at the time, you know, if it was $130 a month was a really high price point for the fitness industry outside of maybe CrossFit or something at the time. So I think that, you know, really, um, training, training those, uh, those people up early enough to be good enough salespeople to be able to sell that product sight unseen, um, to people that had never experienced the product was, was a tough, kind of hurdle in the beginning. Um, what else? I mean, Orange Theory was always really pretty much on the leading edge of a lot of technology things. Um, there was a struggle there at first because they didn't own their technology with the heart rate monitors. So we were using a third-party vendor. And so the return process and, ha and having challenges with that um, was a big challenge in the beginning. And Orange Theory, I think, was smart enough to take all of that in-house. Um, which was a huge development, I think, and, and, and cost kind of initiative. But now that they own, now that they own that, they own the research, they own all that heart rate data. So I think it was a really smart, you know, thing for them to take on, uh, you know, in the beginning. Uh, what else was challenging? I guess it was like, I mean, there really weren't a lot of challenges from a sales, you know, perspective out of the gate. It was really hot here in the Tampa market. People were waiting for kind of new locations to be built. So that part was just really exciting to, to be a part of this, you know, rocket ship kind of brand and, and to be on the early part of that uh, journey was, was really exciting. And I don't know if I'll ever have quite that, you know, quite that experience again, you know, with, with a brand. So yeah, it was just, uh, you know, going to the conferences and, and seeing it grow and seeing the excitement grow, uh, was very special, you know, for sure. And, and lucky to, to be a part of it. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to I fired my boss and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. Looking back in right in, you know, in hindsight, what were some key indicators or, you know, like, what do you think, maybe how did you identify this thing's going to be big? I'm going to buy it now, but more so looking back, um, why did the business succeed so much? Was it the leadership team? Was it the first tomorrow? Like, what do you think really ended up being the reasons? Yeah. When we picked them, like I said, they were not, you couldn't tell that they were going to explode um, like they did. Um, and, and really their first couple studios didn't really explode. The turning point, I think, for Orange Theory was when they did start doing the um, heart rate monitoring and giving you that immediate gratification and really sorting out that piece. So that kind of gave them differentiation from other concepts, um, I think, around the country that might have been, you know, on that fledgling um you know, kind of as a fledgling brand, 
So I think when they kind of figured that out was when it started exploding. Um, the results for the, for the people, uh, from a weight loss perspective, you know, it's like if one person loses 30 pounds, 35 pounds, uh, they're going to tell, you know, 20 people about it. And so I think the results, the word of mouth from a customer's perspective helped that. And, um, just really how well the franchisees were doing sold the brand, I think itself to, you know, and that, that really created that wildfire across the country. You know, if you're, if you've got friends in another part of the country, and I'm sure a lot of people do that are in franchising, they're going to tell everyone that they know, like, look, you know, this thing is crushing it. You need to get one of these areas before it's gone because it's going to be gone. And, and it was, I mean, by the time we had the second one, the area rep was like, we're not selling anymore. So good luck kind of a thing. And uh, what happened here, what was interesting, people that had worked for the brand here locally in Tampa moved their families or, or packed up so that they could get studios in Texas, in Oklahoma, you know, because they, they knew the numbers that they, that these other owners were doing. So it was a, it was a, a pretty fast kind of feeding frenzy because the margins were great. And, you know, and, and so I think that really fueled the, the growth. But when we jumped in, we didn't, you know, we, yeah, we had no idea it was going to, I don't think anybody would tell you they, they knew that it was going to be like that. Um, and, and, and what it, what it did do. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because like to me, when I think about Orange Theory, I think about that they really consolidated uh, a fragmented market. They said, if you want to go to boutique fitness before boutique fitness was so big, right? So it was like, Hey, boutique fitness is all these fragmented mom pops or you can go to Orange Theory. Like that became like the boutique, you know, one of the boutique fitness giants. And that's what like Massage Envy did for massage, like a massage in every corner. You have well, expensive massage, cheap massage, Massage Envy. Um, Dunkin' Donuts, cons- you know, consolidation. And um, I mean, it goes on and on, but like, that's how I look at Orange Theory um, and any brand that really explodes or they come into the market and they provide a completely new way of doing things or a really unique branding and a market, you know, disruptive branding. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of all that. I mean, Ellen, Ellen Latham is the creator of the workout. She had a really, I think the story goes that, you know, she had a killer workout studio that uh, people were just buying, you know, tons of members down in Fort Lauderdale. And that's when the founders approached her and said, listen, you know, we think you're, if you could adapt your model, you know, that she worked with exercise scientists with to create. So there, you know, there was this kind of like deep science component. Um, that, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of that. The branding was good. Um, you know, owning that color. Um, m- one of my mentors, Terry Blachek, he's the one that came up with the orange bikes. I don't know if you guys knew about that whole thing. Um, and so that, that guerrilla marketing was really brilliant. So yeah, they did. It was a lot of, it was a lot of pieces that came together to, to create magic. I think it wasn't probably any one, one thing, but yeah, all those. And the leadership team was good. He, he's a sales beast. Um, he's the one that Terry's the one that wrote. Um, really the sales programs, um, that I think other companies probably ad- adopted. Um, so that really helped as well. There, there was a really, uh, you know, already in place, a really, um, you know, designed sales program for every manager to implement kind of out of the gate. They didn't have to kind of figure it out on their own. Yeah, at the end of the day, like a gym really is a fit, like, it's like you're selling a, it's a, it's a sales machine and then you're selling the workout and the workout's great, but like it's the, Ability. I mean, I look at like, um, take like exponential fitness. Like, I remember watching an interview with Anthony Geyser of, of exponential fitness, and I think he made a joke. Like, I'm a one trick pony. Like, I know how to build sales and marketing engines in fitness, and then we plug it into the different, you know, verticals. And, you know, I, that, that's how I look at my, my business with Franchise Playbook and our, our brand, Voda Clean Restoration. I'm like, we're a lead gen company. That's our skill set in, in home services now. Plug in the widget and, and 
plenty of other operational uh, components, but it's the sales and marketing. Sales cures all, lead generation cures all. Um, so that, that's interesting yeah. to know that about Orange Theory. And Orange Theory was hyper, you know, I, was, I hadn't been in a lot of any other organizations from an ownership perspective, but their, um, I know from a fitness perspective, their sales process was really aggressive. I mean, we would send, we, it, it, the, the previous fitness model, I think, was stand inside your gym or maybe put a little tent outside and people come to it. Whereas we were sending, you know, we had everything uh, goal-based and we're sending people out to, to anywhere where there were humans, um, you know, grocery stores and bringing back leads. And we would do lead contests. And so we would have to get these, these young people really comfortable with just walking up to people cold and asking them about their fitness journey and offering a free VIP pass to Orange Theory and getting their phone number. So I just thought like it's, it's just really, you know, a really aggressive but really successful um, out, outbound you know, sales process that that, uh, that Orange Theory really did, uh, you know, did create. Well, and clearly it worked. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's funny, the new franchisees, it's, it's like once the brand got really established, I think a lot of the new franchisees maybe didn't have that as aggressive of an approach because they didn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't have to kind of build the brand and explain the brand. Uh, the way we did, they kind of were like, oh, it's Orange Theory. We're going to build one and, and it, uh, we'll have 700 members. And uh, so, yeah, I think like that was probably a challenge as the brand grew to, you know, to everybody maybe isn't quite as hungry or, you know, willing to do those really hard, uh, you know, outbound, aggressive, uh, you know, it, kind of tactics. And maybe, maybe we're thinking that it would just come to them a little easier. And that, you know, that's not always the case depending on where your location is. So. No doubt. Yeah, I think also it depends on how early or late you are in the system. I think there's different personality types. Obviously, if you're more of the accountant, engineer type person, you're likely not going to be super entrepreneurial. Or if you are, you maybe don't want to be in an organization or early on enough where you need to help create the brand and be more aggressive and be that salesperson or at least run a business where that is you're overseeing that type of aggressive sales tactics. But it, but it works and it's what's necessary. Um, what I'm curious about is you mentioned, I mean, I don't know what, what the, uh, where it kind of caps out at the, at the unit level with Orange Theory, but ha- have they just all consistently grown? Have you seen it get to a point where, you know, it kind of caps out or do you, do you believe that it's, you know, it's possible to keep incrementally growing each individual unit that you have? I think that, um, for us anyway, personally, that I think for the first time in a long time, some of the brand is facing some, some like challenging headwinds. Um, coming out of COVID, there was, um, you know, a really big uptick that I think was really the, the, um, the super loyal, super dedicated members came back, you know, really quickly. Um, a lot of, um, units took pricing, uh, higher, you know, due to, you know, some of the things that were necessary. Um, but the uh, which which helped with the revenue, uh, but during I think COVID and and I think we a lot of people recognized it with Peloton and some of the others that people just created different habits, um, you know during COVID and whether that and, and so what what we think is you know Orange Theory where that was their everything before uh, maybe Orange Theory is something now they do once a week and they incorporate you know maybe some of these other exponential fitness brands. Um, and, or, or they do, or they incorporate some in-home stuff to maybe save some money. So I think like anytime there's that huge, uh, you know, ripple like that was, um, people really just, you know, they just d- different habits. And then also, you know, there is competition that creeped up. I mean, like, um, Dan mentioned, we were kind of the, 
the disruptor for, for that space. But I think after about five years, you know, the, um, you know, the F45s of the world and some of these others that weren't around the first four and five years, they don't, you know, it might take just a little bit of your market share. But if everybody, if everybody takes 4%, then that can add up to 4%, 4%, 4%, 4%. Next thing you know, you're at, you know, 85% of your, you know, previous revenue. So I know they're still experiencing growth really internationally is, is a big focus. Um, I think the domestically it's pretty much sold out. Um, but, um, but yeah, it hasn't, it, this past year hasn't all been roses for, for everyone. I mean, we've, we've been profitable, um, not nearly to the degree that we were uh, pre COVID. Um, thankfully, cause I know some, some folks, um, probably weren't out there, but, um, but yeah, so I hope that, I hope that answered the question. Yeah. It's not all, um, you know, not all mere, it, it's absolutely still, a, you know, an unbelievable thing and, and brand, uh, to be a part of. Um, but yeah, but I think, uh, with the economy kind of the way it is and, uh, that, but yeah, it's not quite as, as, as easy as it was before to, uh, get those members, you know, having, having it be a little bit more of a mature brand now. Well, this is great. Thank you for, for taking the time to, to join and, and chat with us and, you know, kind of talk about how you got into business and, and, uh, if, what would you, last question, I guess, would be. What's next, man? Like, where do you want to be, and you know, where do you want to take the business, or are you are you looking at next brands, or like, what's your what's your your next goal? I mean, our focus is really getting um, Southwest Florida built out uh, for Kid Strong. Um, we don't. We've had some difficulty finding uh, locations, you know, much much harder than Orange Theory, and I think that's just due to the the, the speed with which this part of Florida has grown. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're trying to get that one built out. I've got three partners in that one. So that's a different dynamic. Um, it just spread the risk around uh, a little bit, but I'm constantly kind of on the lookout. Um, I love investigating, you know, different, different concepts all the time. We looked at, I want to say three or four, um, prior to, it went pretty far down the road, um, before kind of settling in on, on kids strong. So yeah, I'll continue to, I don't think this is probably our last you know, my last hurrah, I'm 40, close to being 48 years old, but I've only been in franchising for 10 years. So I think there's still a lot of learning to be done and, and probably growth, growth to happen at some point. So that's awesome. For those that don't know what Kid Strong is, can you touch on briefly what that is and why you selected that brand? Sure. Yeah. So it's a, um, Kid Strong is, is another, we selected it because it, similar to Orange Theory, it was really, there was really nothing like it. Um, out in the marketplace. And uh, it's a milestone accelerator uh, for children aged like two to 11 years old. And so the way I perceive it, I actually don't personally have any children, um, but um, it's really, I think it picks up where a lot of um, school systems leave off and kind of puts together elements of fitness, uh, elements of discipline, uh, elements of um, some education, and kind of puts it all together in a package that, you know, I think the, the tagline is... Um, like helping, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on the spot now, but anyway, essentially it's just trying to help your kids level up, um, the way that, um, you know, and kind of get ahead of the game and six, oh, it's helping your, helping kids win at life is kind of the thought is, is that tagline. And so they have a great mission. I think it's going to be great for, you know, children, great for our country. It's a, it's a very, you know, it's a positive thing that, that I think everybody can, um, can get behind and, uh, yeah, it's got that recurring revenue model similar to Orange Theory, not a very large footprint. You don't have to have lots of employees. 
So, uh, yeah, it's growing very quickly, kind of the way that Orange Theory did it in the early days in terms of um, kind of word of mouth and how fast it's growing. So we hope that it has uh, the same success. And I know there's some there's some um, crossover uh, in, in some of the, uh, you know, founders and, and being on the board and things like that. So that should help us in the, in the long run. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, Chris for joining the I Fire My Boss podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please, of course, like, subscribe, give us a review. And if you are interested in pursuing franchise opportunities, obviously, we're here to talk. I've got my franchise, Voter Cleaning Restoration, and Christian's a consultant with plenty of amazing opportunities. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss... Make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 